verses 22 through 25. That's found on page 1037 of UP Bibles. Again, uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It is good to be together this morning to worship God. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's a wonderful time. As America, we think about love today, February the 14th. And it's wonderful in the Lord's family, we think about love all the time. That's one of the fruits, the, one of the aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. Today, our young lady serving Christ will serve our widows and widowers a meal today. Uh, they'll show their love for them. Also, many of you and all of you are invited to go down to the Mount Juliet Healthcare Center this afternoon and participate in an outreach to let them, the residents of that center, simply know that we love them. Bags will be provided for everybody to deliver to each room, and everybody's encouraged to just take one room and go in and, and sit down for 15 or 20 minutes and visit together. It's exciting to think about the question that if the Mount Juliet congregation ceased to exist, would anybody in the community notice or care? And to think that surely if we show God's love, the answer to that would be a resounding yes. Absolutely, people would notice and care. Are you open? We've been thinking about that this year. Are you open? In January, we looked at the fact, are you open to growing? And we continue that series even tonight on on Sunday evenings throughout this month. But this month, on Sunday mornings, we're asking the question, are you open to stronger relationships? You know, it's wonderful that God created us in such a way as to not walk in isolation through this world, but that we walk in companionship and friendship. We walk as a spiritual family together through this world. We walk with a physical family together through this world. God designed for us to love our neighbor. God expects us to be involved in relationships. And what is wonderful is that God wants those relationships to be healthy. As a matter of fact, when He gives the fruit of the Spirit, He says, against such there is no law. In other words, when we have poor relationships because it is our fault, we have violated the law of God. God expects you and I as His children to contribute to strong, good relationships as much as depends upon us. Now, with that in mind, we have the challenge that lies before us to realize that the easiest thing for us to do... Now, doesn't this sound strange? The easiest thing for us to do is destroy relationships. It just doesn't sound right, but that is the case. Look again back to our text in, in the uh, fifth chapter there of Galatians. Look again at verse 22, uh, but... We see the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, and today we'll talk about peace and long-suffering. But remember what we mentioned last week? 
that those who are Christ have crucified the flesh. In other words, the easiest thing for us to do is live in the flesh and to be envious, to be jealous, to be murderers, to be drunkards, and, and on and on, the works of the flesh. And someone says, oh, really, that's not me. Yes, by nature, that's us. But he says we can crucify that individual. And instead, we now live, he says here in this verse, in the Spirit. And we walk, in other words, now our conduct is going to be in the Spirit. And so what is produced by a life that is led by the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. And so what we're trying to emphasize throughout this series is we don't work on the end result first. We work on a life in the Spirit. We work on a life that has crucified the flesh. And then the result of that life is the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, like we talked last week, it's like an orange. If you want an orange, you have to go back to the orange tree. Or it's like an individual that is drunk with alcohol. We say, well, you know, they were under the influence of alcohol. That's why they said this. That's why they did that. Do you realize that when you and I live by the Spirit, that the world's not going to understand. You're going to have co-workers that say, why do you always take that? You're going to have family that says, well, you just need to tell them. You're going to have friends that says, i tell you what you need to do to get back at them. And then when you refuse to do that, they're going to say, I don't understand you. And the best explanation we can give is, I'm under the influence. If it were the old me, if it were just me, oh, I would do all those things you said. But you see, I'm under the influence. It's not me anymore. I'm living in the Spirit. I'm walking in the Spirit. And the things I used to say and I used to do, I no longer do those things. Now I produce the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Friends, we can't ever expect the world to totally understand that. Because you see, the world goes about and, and they mirror everything that everybody does. And the happenings and the people around them either make them happy or make them sad. And last week we talked about the fact we need to shatter those mirrors. And instead of reflecting everybody and everything, we need to decide to receive the love that God offers, the joy that God offers, and simply give that as an action. Not react to everybody, but to choose a loving and joyful action for everything in life. But then today, we think about peace and long-suffering, and we think about a second principle. The first being shatter the mirrors, the second, turn the other cheek. This morning, I want to talk with you about something that intellectually it's probably pretty easy to understand. But the reality is, there will be some here this morning that just do not believe what we preach. It's interesting, you could ask them, do you believe the Bible? And they say, yes. But then when you say, do you believe you should live this out? They would say, no. And then others that intellectually believe this, and even have a measure of faith in it, when it comes to exercising it tomorrow, or this afternoon, or this week sometime, with a strife that's in their lives, they'll fall short. Because let's face it, it's one thing to sit here in a peaceful surroundings, in a period of worship, and talk about peace. But usually our greatest moments are strife for not during the worship hour. Usually those relationships are challenged the most at other times during the week. You see, there would be people that you and I would place under the category of good, faithful Christians that would literally tell their children to disobey this passage. 
Friends, as we begin this study today, I simply want to ask you again, do you believe the Word of God? Do you believe that what makes so much sense to you in the flesh might be completely 100% contrary to a life that's lived in the Spirit? Are you willing to say, when I'm not under the influence of the Spirit, I would act like this, but now that I'm living under God, I'm going to do something that I would never otherwise do? How many ways have we tried to hurt to hear, have we heard Matthew the 5th chapter tried to be explained away? Look with me, if you will, in Matthew the 5th chapter. And let's look at this turning the other cheek principle as we think about peace and long-suffering. And as you're turning there, Matthew the 5th chapter, I just want to also invite you to think about the long-suffering aspect of tonight. We consider the growth choice. In other words, if you're going to make a choice to grow in your life, the Scriptures teaches us in the last beatitude that whenever we're ready to to be persecuted and remain faithful, that we're ready to grow. And so we're literally going to take a part of this lesson this morning, the long suffering, and we're going to piggyback two topics together that fit hand, like a hand in a glove together tonight as we think about long suffering and persecution. But this morning, especially as we think about the sister characteristics there of peace and long suffering, I'd like for you to think about Jesus' teaching here in Matthew, the fifth chapter. We're still in uh, the, the Sermon on the Mount here that we'll go back and study tonight. But notice what he says in 38. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other one to him also. And he talks about if somebody wants to sue you, just go ahead and give them your tunic and your cloak. And he talks about in 41, if somebody asks you to go a mile, go with them two miles. He talks about in 42, if someone wants to borrow something from you, let them borrow it. And then he he talks about in 43 that they would say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But then in 44, he says this to them, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And he talks about how this is going to be very different from the tax collectors. This is going to be very different from heathens, from people that live in the flesh. But he concludes this in 48 by saying, Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Friends, do you know what meditate is? I know that may seem silly to ask, but really, do you? You know what it is to take a scripture and to understand the teachings of that scripture from God's word and then meditate to think, how am I going to live this out this week? The next time this occurs, how am I going to live out this passage? Will you just for a minute meditate on on verse 44? How are you going to live out this week if, if someone curses you? Can you see yourself right now blessing them? There may be someone here today that honestly says... I would never do that. In other words, what you're saying, I'm still living in the flesh. You're not going to move me to a life in the Spirit. I refuse to be one that crucifies the flesh. I am going to stay in the flesh where I get... And here's what's interesting. They're saying where I get to do what I want, but the reality is you're empowered by everybody else. You're not doing what you want. 
You're empowered by everybody else. If they're mad at you, they have now empowered you to be mad at them. If they're happy, they have now empowered you to be happy. Think how weak that is. A child of God is empowered by God. And it doesn't matter what people around them do. They don't rule and reign their life. And so a person curses them. And not out of sarcasm and not out of a false motive. The child of God blesses them. A person hates them. And can you see yourself now? Can you meditate and can you see yourself doing good for them when you know they hate you? When they bring harm into your life and they persecute you, right now, can you see yourself saying a prayer for them? Friends, that's the beauty, that's the challenge. That's the life of one who's living in the Spirit. Their life is literally producing something that they would have never produced otherwise. With that in mind, I'd like for you to look with me to this next slide as we see peace. The life that produces it must first experience it. That's what we want to say in these next few minutes. We want to use scriptures to see first how do we experience it because we can't give away something that we've never received. And so how can we experience the the peace of God? When you look at John, the third chapter, we're going to look at some passages kind of quickly and then kind of slow down at the end. But but for time's sake, let me go ahead and just lay out some things for you to think about and, and mull over. In John, the third chapter, we love verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We know that well, but you know the following verses he explains the fact that he didn't come to condemn the world, but he came to save the world. And then he enlightens us on the fact. He speaks of the fact that when he came in verse 19, he was light, but light exposes darkness. And so people who are living in sin, they don't want to be revealed that they're sinners, that what they're doing is wrong. And so the idea is, get light away from us. Jesus, get away from us. We don't want you around us. You make us feel guilty. Now keep in mind, what are we? As Christians, we are the light of Christ. And that's why many times people in the world do not want to be around us because our presence, our righteous life, I'm not saying any of us are perfect. I'm not saying we're better than other people. I'm simply saying our righteous life enlightens brings guilt upon them because they realize what they are doing is wrong. Notice what he says in 20. For everyone practices evil, hates the light. And notice also in 21, but he who does the truth comes to the light. But what are those going to do that don't do the truth? They hate it. They want it to get away from them. In other words, when we think about receiving the peace of God in our lives, what I want us to see first and foremost this morning is that doesn't mean that there will never be strife-filled situations around us. Do you realize that when Jesus came to this earth, what he is saying to Nicodemus here in John 3 is in a sense he's saying, listen, you want to talk about strife? I know about strife. You want to talk about people not liking you? I know about people not liking you. But what did he have? He had peace. But notice what he brought to the world. In Mark the 10th, I'm sorry, Matthew the 10th chapter, in verse 34, he says, Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth or to the world. I did not come to bring peace, but to bring a sword. 
God sent His Son to be at odds with the world so that those who would want to leave the world would have a Savior and be saved. In Luke, the second chapter, in verse 14, the the King James and the New King James translation probably misses it here. Uh, We've seen this on a lot of holiday cards coming from these translations, but a more accurate translation, and almost every other translation will translate it more like this in Luke 2 and 14. Glory to God. This is is the birth announcement of Jesus Christ. And it says, glory, this is what the angels are saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and peace among those with whom He is pleased. It's not the best translation to say, and peace and goodwill to all men. That's not what the Lord was saying. Jesus did not come to this earth to bring peace to all mankind. He didn't come to bring peace to the sinners. He came to bring a sword, to pierce the hearts, to try to urge them to turn away. And the ones who do not want to turn away will not know the peace of God. Friends, we have given, have been given by God a tremendous gift when we talk about the peace of God. And that's what Philippians 4 and 7 is talking about when it says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ. But now look with me, if you will, to Psalm the third chapter. The Lord wants us to know this peace. In Psalm the third chapter, we have David at a time in his life when Absalom was working against him, formed a coup and was trying to take over the kingdom. Now keep in mind, this is David's son. David loved his son dearly. If you had a son who was trying to kill you, would you be able to find peace? Would you be able to sleep at night? Could you honestly say, in a time filled of strife, of your son trying to kill you, I know the peace of God. Friends, I know in the flesh that there is no way we could know that. But what I'm asking you this morning is, do you understand, do you accept, do you believe in a peace of God that passes understanding in a way that the world could never understand in the flesh? This is what David said in verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 3, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. The one who's troubling the most is his son that's raising an army up against him. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. So not only are they wanting to kill him, now many are saying, hey, look, God's given up on David. He's not going to help David anymore. And what's David's answer? But you, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head I cried to the Lord with my voice, and He heard me from His holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. And skipping down days, salvation belongs to the Lord. If you lived at a time where it seemed like everybody was against you, would you be able to walk around with your head up? If you walked in this room today and you believed that everybody in this room was against you, would you walk in with your head low? David says, even though so many are against me, you hold my head up, God. When you're anxious, when you're worried, when your peace seems to be violated, do you sleep well? 
You know, I think one of the most common things that individuals say at a time when they are really worried about something is they'll say, I just can't sleep. Isn't it interesting that at a time that David's son was pursuing him, he said, and it's recorded in Scripture, I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. He goes ahead and throws that on at the end because any of us would be saying otherwise, David, how can you lay down and sleep? That doesn't make sense. How can someone find enough peace to sleep at a time like that? And David says, I'll tell you how. My Lord sustains me. Friends, I hope you realize this morning my goal is not to bring you an easy lesson. My goal is to challenge all of us to really believe what God offers and what God would require of us. I don't give you this illustration to say I'm any better than the other person. I'm simply reminded of Friday, literally, while I was working on this lesson, I took a little break and I went down to a store. And and while I was in the store at the cashier line, the cashier and I was the only one in the front of the store. And just small talk, we've seen each other several times, and, and, and I said, hey, how you doing today? She says, I'm worn out, I'm exhausted. Not catching on to what she was really trying to say, I said, oh really, are, are they working you long hours now? And, and she said, oh no, no, I couldn't sleep last night. Now think about it, I'm studying on this lesson, I go down to the store, this is literally... I couldn't sleep last night. And when I finally did fall asleep, the alarm went off at five. I had to get my son ready for school. Still not catching on. I said, well, maybe since you are exhausted today, you'll sleep really well tonight. In the most miserable looking face that you can imagine, began to nod no. And she said, there's too much going on in my life right now to sleep. I won't sleep again tonight. By that time, someone had stepped up behind us and and our transaction had already finished and it just wasn't appropriate to continue talking about it. But my heart broke. And I study this lesson and I wonder how many of us Say we've crucified Christ. I mean, we've crucified the flesh and we're now Christ. We now live in the Spirit and we walk in the Spirit. That's what we say. But we find ourselves doing the very same thing. Or yet, how many of us can say, I found the peace of God. And even among all that is happening, even though there are things around me that are not peaceful, I know the peace of God. I can still lay down and I can still sleep because I know that the Lord sustains me. Look with with me, if you will, to Philippians, the fourth chapter. I'd like for you to see that when God gives us A teaching, he also gives us the details of how to fulfill this teaching. And maybe at this point, there's some of us here this morning saying, I don't think it's possible. 
I don't think it's possible to have your son trying to kill you and that, that some way you could find the ability to just lay down and sleep and say, I got that night's sleep because I put it in God's hands. Friends, I don't write it, but I believe it when I read it, if it's in God's Word. And then the book of Philippians, the fourth chapter, we see two women that apparently were creating quite a, dis- a disturbance in the church at Philippi, Yodia and Syntyche. And notice in verse 2, he says, I implore you. In other words, I beseech you. In other words, he is, uh, he is uh, correcting them as he says, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Well, you can skip down to verse 7 and you can see what that mind is. And the peace of God, that's what he wants for these two. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will do what? It'll guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. We can put a guard around us so that we're not on self-destructive mode. We can put a guard around us so that we are not on a mode that destroys other good relationships. And, And so someone can say, wait a minute. You're telling me I can have strife with someone else Keep in mind, we're not the ones to be contributing to that strife. But we also can't control everybody else. And so I can have strife with someone else, but yet I can still know the peace of God. How could that ever happen? We'll drop back to verse 4. Here's the recipe. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Stop throwing pity parties. And start looking for the things and the ways that God is using you and is blessing you. And rejoice. It doesn't mean we put our head in the sand that the other's not happening. But so oftentimes when things are not exactly the way we want them, we concentrate solely on what is wrong. And Paul looks at these two ladies that they have some serious problems of disruption going on. And he says, the first thing I want you to do is I want you to find some good things. I want you to rejoice in them. The second thing he says I want you to do is let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. You remember we talked about gentleness or meekness where you take the reins and hand them over to God? Women, he's talking to those two there. He's talking to all of us. Can you say, look, I can prove to all mankind that God is reigning my life. I'm not in control anymore. If both of those women would do that, their disturbance would be over. That's the beauty of having a disagreement with a Christian. When both respond in the way that God has taught, it's solved and it's settled. But now notice this next teaching in 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Jesus. Notice on this next slide, pretty much kept word for word what we just read but I simply put it in a quick outline form. How is it that we can be anxious for nothing? There will never be a time in our life on earth that there won't be strife. So he's not saying, hey, there'll never be strife. You'll never be uncomfortable. You'll never have difficult situations to deal with. He's not saying that. But he says, you can know peace. You can receive the peace of God. You can go through life and not live an anxious life. In everything, you can do that. How? Number one, pray. It's not that it's self-suggestion or auto-suggestion. Okay, I'm going to talk positive to myself and prayer is a good way to talk positive. No, and it's not that old saying, prayer changes things. It's kind of like, okay, what is prayer, a magic potion? It's God that changes things. 
Prayer is the way we communicate to God. Prayer is when we're humble enough to say, God, I can't take care of this one. God, this one is completely up to you. God, back when I was living in the flesh, I would have wrestled with this all night long. But God, tonight, I'm going to hand this one over to you. And I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to pray to you. And what are we going to do in that prayer? Number two, we're going to petition. We're going to ask God to take the cares and the concerns that are on our minds. And we're going to hand them over to God. And number three, notice... We're going to do it with thanksgiving. There is going to be gratitude that God is powerful and that God can even let good things come out of very bad situations, Romans 8 and 28, and that God will, let not, will not let more come upon us than what we can stand. Could anybody ever really do that? You know when the Scriptures teaches us that children, such is the kingdom of heaven? I guess that's the best way that you could describe Ruby Bridges. Many of you probably know her story well, but just a quick reminder. During the 1960s, when desegregation was ordered in New Orleans. There were four little African-American girls that the courts ordered to go to all Caucasian schools. Three of them went together to the same school. But there was one, William Francis Elementary School, that Ruby Bridges, she had to go alone. She was a first grader that year. As she approached school being escorted by federal marshals because the local police and the state police refused to handle the situation. So federal marshals were sent in to protect this little girl. They walked her to and from school every day. And her first day as she approached school, mobs of white people gathered around with their picketing signs and they yelled cruel and harsh things and they even threw things. Later she found out it was eggs. They said the most awful and disgusting things. It's such a negative spot in our U.S. history. And this little girl kept her head up. And she walked right there with those marshals into a school and all of the white parents wouldn't even let their children go to school that day. And she went into school for her first day of kindergarten all alone. The second, third, and fourth day all alone. Finally, the kids came back to school, but her classroom never had a student placed in it all year long. She went to school alone. And every day the marshals would pick her up at the end of school and they'd walk her home and she'd have her chin up. And Robert Coles was a psychiatrist from Harvard that was sent to help that child through the times. And it puzzled Robert because every day he would talk to the child, or at least twice a week, he'd talk to the child and he'd say, Ruby, are you doing okay? Yes, sir. I'm doing good. Ruby, is anything bothering you? No, sir. No, sir, I'm doing really good. Ruby, what's wrong? Nothing's wrong, sir. I'm comfortable. They couldn't figure it out. Honestly, the psychiatrist couldn't figure it out. How can she walk? And by the way, the mob continued for months. How could she walk through a mob every day on the way to school 
and not be down, not be out. To literally, Miss Henry, her, her first grade teacher, could not believe it either and talked about how she continued to learn and how she was a pleasure to teach and never did she have a bad day. And one day, what they thought might would happen, they thought maybe that was the day it was happening. She wouldn't be able to take it. One day, she's going to turn to that crowd. And Miss Henry watched out the window and she saw Ruby as she got to the steps, the mob still surrounding, and she paused and Miss Henry could see her mouth moving. The marshals were trying to rush her into safety and she wouldn't move. And finally, after a few minutes, she moved on into safety. And Miss Henry asked, Why did you stop today and what did you say to the mob? She said, I didn't talk to the mob. She said, I saw your lips move. I know you were talking to them. What did you say? She said, Oh... I wasn't talking to them. I was praying. She said, praying? She said, yes. You see, every day, two blocks back, I stop and I say a prayer for them. And this morning, I forgot to say the prayer for them. And I remembered when I got in the middle of them that I hadn't prayed for them. And so I stopped and said a prayer. And in the afternoon, when I get back to that same place two blocks away, I stop again. And I say a prayer. Robert Coles couldn't believe his ears when the teacher told him that. So when he made his house visit that week, he said... I hear that it was suspected that you were talking to the mob. No. They told me you were praying. Yes. They told me you were praying for them. Yes. Why would you pray for them? She said, why would I not pray for them? I'm the one they're trying to hurt. If there's anybody that ought to be praying for them, it ought to be me. And he couldn't help but ask, what do you pray? She said, I pray to them what I've heard preached at church. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I also in that prayer say, God, I know that when there were people that said really bad things about you, you forgave them. And God, I ask you to forgive those people who say really bad things about me. Nobody else could understand why that little girl had peace. But children of God. To think that we truly can crucify the old man of flesh... And that we truly can bless those that curse us. We can do good to those who hate us. And we can pray for those who persecute us. But it's not a game. 
It's not something we conveniently pull out whenever we want to make someone feel bad. Friends, that's the peace of God. And when we can take that into every relationship, when we can offer our spouse a spouse who knows the peace of God, when we can offer our children a, a, a father or mother who knows the peace of God, when we can offer our co-workers and our neighbors an individual, a friend, a co-worker who knows the peace of God, think of the gift that we have given and so this morning, I beg you to meditate upon this lesson. I beg you to pray upon this. And let's all, let's all have fantastic relationships because we've produced the fruit of the Spirit. This morning, if we can help you become a child of God, if we can help you in any way, if you simply need prayer, come as we stand, as we sing.